Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. So excited to have you back for another amazing episode. I cannot wait to get into what our guest today shares and goes into. It is mind-blowing. It's possible I may say that often about my guests, but I do. I have amazing guests here. This one, he will wow you. But a few things. Make sure if you haven't checked out the new Patreon site for the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Really, really excited. I have decided to put my podcast on Patreon and you can become a patron of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am reaching out. I'm asking for your help and support to make this podcast better in a variety of different ways. You can see all of that, but it's really fun. You can become a patron and we can work together to really do something beautiful. I truly believe that no work is ever done alone. We need each other and we need help and support. Podcasts take a crazy amount of time and effort and money that goes into this. And so we're looking to expand the podcast and actually do some pretty new and different things with it. And to do that, we need your support and your help. So you can go to patreon.com slash Leodaro. Check out my tears of becoming a patron because they are inspired by The Office. So I may or may not have a picture of Stanley Hudson that says, shove it up your butt. I may or may not. I may or may not, (laughs) you may have to just go check it out yourself. So again, that website is patreon.com slash Leodaro. Go ahead and check it out. There's actually some pretty cool little fun swag I send you by joining and becoming a patron of the podcast. And there is some exclusive bonus content with a like mini podcast series that I do just for my patrons. So that's pretty neat because I take your questions, I answer them in a private podcast just for you. So that's pretty fun. So if you want that, plus a whole bunch of other really fun goodies and some do something beautiful swag, if that's exclusive, you can't find an unless to become a patron, you want to check it out. So patreon.com slash Leah Darrow. Make sure you take a look. I'll leave the link in my show notes too for you to check out that later. But today we get to talk to Eric Jenis. Eric is a master pianist, composer, world renowned performer. Let me tell you something. There are a few people in this world that I could probably say this about, and I don't know if I've met anyone outside of Mother Teresa, but I felt like I was talking to someone on the level of Mother Teresa. His humility, his genuine love for Jesus Christ and for other people to know Christ's love and mercy through his gifts and talents was, it just, it it gave me goosebumps the whole entire conversation. He's probably totally freaking out and really embarrassed by that introduction. But that's the truth, Eric. When I was talking to you, I was like, oh man, what is happening? It's so much more than his bio could even hold of what Eric offers and what he does with his talent and his life. It is truly doing something beautiful. Eric has an amazing bio. I mean, like I said, he is a world-class pianist and composer. He has worked with some of the very best and he has debuted in front of major audiences 
15,000 in Krakow, Poland a few years ago. Some movie stars are big fans. Jim Caviezel, Kevin James are really big fans of his and will go and seek him out any chance they get. This is a beautiful, beautiful soul. I am happy to have him as my brother in Christ and I was so honored to speak with him about what he is doing for the world and for others to really know beauty through music. It's definitely so much more than what you think. I promise you, Eric's going to surprise you time and time again with the beauty of what he shares, of what his music, how it engages people and actually draws them to Christ. It's unreal. Over and over, it's unreal. I will give you a quick tidbit. The audio in our conversation is not ideal. I'm not quite sure what happened. I believe we fixed the problem now, but I wanted to just make sure that you know that I know I apologize in advance for that. However, the conversation is so great. Eric's humility and Eric's beautiful story that God is writing in him and through him is something that needs to be heard. So without further ado, here is Eric Jenis. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing greatly. It's so delightful to speak with you today. Oh, I feel the exact same way. You are a self-taught composer. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, I do have a degree in piano performance, but in terms of the composing side of things, yes, I'm self-taught. Wow. So how did that begin? Did you always love to play or, I mean, was the piano just something that you fell into or did, who introduced you? When I was young, my mother and father you know, wanted me to play the piano, but I was like every other boy. You know, They would say, play the piano, and I would grab my hockey stick and run out the back door. And so I, I had no interest in it. And then one day, I don't know why, but when I was about 10 years old, it hit me that you have free time in your life once, and you better take advantage of it because then you lose it. And I thought, if I'm ever going to learn this piano, it's going to be while I'm young, because when you're older, there's too much responsibility. So, Lee, I started playing and playing and playing, and it got to be so much fun. And even now, when people say, oh, what's it like to compose music? Because I'm very grateful. I, I perform all over the world, and I perform with some of the world's best musicians. And I'm very grateful and very honored that they perform my stuff. But composing itself is very much like a child playing with Lego. It's just fun, and it's joyful. And the awe and wonder that God creates us with to have for these things that are beautiful and creative are very important. But the biggest thrust of that aspect of composing is about beauty. Leah, here's the thing. I play in every kind of venue imaginable, you know, from concert halls to schools to prisons. I play in a lot of maximum security prisons. And Leah, as long as they keep letting me out, I keep going back in, you know. But the, the aspect is that these guys are filled, their life is filled with ugliness. These prisons are very ugly places. The atmosphere is ugly. The, the lighting is ugly. The way they dress is ugly. The way they speak to each other is ugly. The way that the guards would speak to them is low. And, and so when they encounter beauty, they are moved. They are very moved. And they react very strongly. I had a man once in the middle of a concert throw up his arms and he yelled out, I forgot what hope felt like. And so when I compose music, the aspect is, as a composer, it's fun. It's joyful, but the goal is to create beauty because when you give a civilization beauty, you uplift people and you uplift civilization. When you remove beauty from a civilization, you have nothing but despair and discouragement and cynicism, and that leads to delinquency and problems. So I think the human soul and the human heart is meant, and the human condition is meant and created to be uplifted and edified 
through beauty. So I think beauty plays a very practical and important role in our culture. And that's the purpose of the composing. Oh, geez. I mean, well, let me tell you something. You're talking to the right person right now. Beauty is my favorite thing in the world to talk about because it's so transcendent and it points to something bigger than all of us, the creator of beauty, beauty himself. Let me go back to something you said. It really, really hit me when you say, I guess I'm assuming you're you're playing in a maximum security prison and one of the prisoners, one of the men stood up and said, I forgot what hope felt like. I just, and I mean, I almost teared up when you said it. I just think that that is such a travesty that there are people in the world who don't remember what hope felt or looked like. That is really intense for me to even ponder or I guess realize that that is a reality for some people. Why do you think instrumental music, music without any words, creates such a physical and an emotional response in people? You know, Leah, here's the reality. People come up to me all the time and say, oh, you know, have you ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? You know, where that scene with the music. The reality is, Leah, I live Shawshank Redemption every prison show. I'm overwhelmed. Here's the thing. I'll talk about the prisons for a minute, but the key is not to focus on really what the prisons are, are a mirror of civilization. And this is what I mean. These prisoners live in extreme ugliness. Everything about their existence is ugly. So instrumental music, music is beautiful. I I will just share with you something. Leah, Confucius, thousands of years ago, said, if you want to know the morality of a nation, he said, let me hear the music. Leah, he didn't say, let me read the textbooks or let me talk to the philosophers or let me talk to the teachers or let me take a poll. He didn't do any of that. He said, let me hear the music. So either he overspoke or he recognized that there was something about music and its relationship to morality. Well, that's strange because our civilization has reduced music to nothing more than just entertainment And it's a money-driven thing. It's really not about beauty. If you look at our modern pop culture, and I'm not, I'm not slamming it, but what I, but I do want to call the truth on it. The reality is, it is very little to do with music. Whereas back then, Confucius said, "If you want to know the morality, let me hear the music." He tied music with morality. What is morality? Well, it's how we see ourselves. It's how we behave. It's how we see civilization. Morality has a great deal to do with hope. You know, do we see our civilization through eyes of hope or through eyes of of cynicism? So morality. And so Plato said, if you want to govern a nation, you do not need the laws. You need the music. For if you have the laws, you tell them how to behave. But if you have the music, you move their hearts. Again, the whole concept that music plays such an important role in the formation of the person and how they see civilization. So, Leah, when I'm in the prisons, the reactions are very strong. I once I played in a prison not too long ago, and this man said, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of many murders. He said, but after hearing this music and after hearing the beauty of these soloists, he said, I've had a higher encounter with my own humanity. I will never hurt another person as long as I live. Now, I hear those stories all the time. Another guy had satanic images tattooed all over his body. So he had hellfire up his arms, up to his chin, and up to his nose. He had the the most hideous-looking demons in the midst of those hellfire. 
He had 666 and big block letters across his forehead. He had an upside down pentagram on his eye. So every satanic symbol. And he comes up to me after the show and says, I'm a Satanist. And then he said, and I've never cried in my life. He says, I've even had very close family members die. I'm sad, but I don't cry. And then the boy just breaks down. He says, I cried through the whole concert. Why was I crying? And I told him, I said, I only had about six seconds. The guard was coming, Leah. So I told him, I said, you're crying because you're good. You are created good. And the good in you is responding to the beauty of the soloist playing. I said, you are good. And then I kind of jabbed him. I said, you can put as much ink on your body as you like, and you can call yourself whatever you like. He said, but Satan didn't die for you. And I said, the ink is just marks. I said, you were created beautiful in the image of God. Now, what's interesting, Leah, is that that's prison and that's extreme because they live in extreme ugliness. What I want to really have people reflect on is, is that unique to prison? In other words, are we giving our children, are we creating a culture of beauty where they can thrive, where they feel that awe and wonder of life and, and the beauty of life, and, and which motivates them and inspires them? And that's beyond words. You cannot talk people into hope. So when I go and play in these inner city schools and all these kids are in gangs and, you know, these kids stand up and they give standing ovations at the concert and they want to talk and all that, that's because of the beauty. You can't talk people into feeling inspired. Now, I'm not saying talking doesn't help, but I'm saying a big part of humanity is inspired through beauty, beyond words. It's, and the human heart knows it when it recognizes it. Why did Thomas Aquinas write all those wonderful, wonderful poems? Like, you know, when you think about wonderful poems, Pontus Angelicus, for example, The Bread of Angels, why was it written in the form of a poem? Well, it was written in the form of a poem because poetry adds to the mystery of the meaning of the poem. So it's elevated. Beauty elevates. And that's the key. So I go around the world. I'm 52, Leah, and I know one day it's going to come to an end. But while I have it, while I'm able to play, I want to be very generous with the gift God has given me. And I play, you know, in every kind of venue imaginable. Wow. I'm, <laughs> I don't know what to say to some of these things. It's just amazing. And some of the things that really, I was writing some notes down of what you said, just so I could keep them personally. And one of the first things that you, you, you said that really hit me, I've never heard said before, although we know it's true, but Satan didn't die for you. Wow. I mean, that's an obvious statement. But when you think about who did and then who didn't and the influences of the world, I hope somebody, what I just did, takes that away. And also, you can't talk people into hope. That reminds me of something Pope Benedict XVI said when he said that hope has a face and hope has a name, and that is Jesus Christ. That is awesome. You know, Leah, one of the things you said earlier that shook me was when you commented, when you said, it makes me so sad that there's people in America without hope. What you referred to earlier about that gentleman in the prison. Leah, you know, here's the reality. And I learned this from my daughter. I have a daughter with Down syndrome. My youngest daughter, she's 14. She's beautiful. Now, Iceland just announced, and I'm, I'm going to tie all this together. I don't want you to think I'm going all over the map here, but Iceland just announced that they want to be rid of Down syndrome by the time 2030 comes around. Okay, we all know how that's brought about. So, Leah, when Hitler said that, we called him a monster. But now we're calling the same act compassion. My point is that my daughter, this beautiful little girl who loves without measure, she is compassion itself. If I could draw compassion, I would draw my daughter. 
when we go in nursing homes and we play, my daughter goes and crawls up on people's laps and hugs them and, and cries with them. And she's just beautiful. But my daughter's like every other child. She desperately wants friends. And we live in a day and age where we almost forgot the corporal works of mercy. So there's my daughter and there's many people that my wife brings into the home and we're friendly with, but nobody ever really calls up my daughter and says, hey, can I come over for lunch, Anastasia, just to make my daughter's life. And what I tell people is if you want to make my daughter the happiest person in the world, all you have to do is call her up and come over for a coffee or for tea. And if you come over just for her, she will be ecstatic. Now, we have nursing homes filled with people who have no hope. And we all have the power to make other people's lives wonderful just by visiting. But these people are lonely, they're broken, they're forgotten. People in the, in the rehab centers, they're lonely, broken, and forgotten, and nobody visits them. People in prisons, they're lonely, forgotten, and nobody visits them. And so right in our midst, there are many, many people without hope that we can change their lives. And so what I'm doing now is when I go and play concerts in schools, I tell them, I'll go play in the nursing home, bring the school so that we can teach the children the corporal works of mercy. These things, we all have the power to influence other people's lives. We have the God-given gift of bringing hope to other people simply through compassion. And so I just wanted to pick up on what you said, because I thought, yes, there are people, even in schools, you know, a lot of kids with disabilities or a lot of kids with special needs that sit at the lunchroom and they're kind of left alone because they're maybe socially awkward. You know, you have the ability to go and change that person's life just by having lunch with them. But it's no real effort to do that. But yet to them, it means the world. And so, Leah, that's why I go and I play for the forgotten. My Carnegie Hall is the prisons, the rehab centers, the inner city schools. That's my Carnegie Hall. It's the veterans that are suffering from PTSD. It's the elderly in the nursing homes. Eric, why do I mean, yes, I mean, amen, 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 a thousand times amen. Let me ask you this, though. Why do you think it's so hard for us to go and visit one of these sites that you're talking about that we all have in our own towns, in our own cities? Why is it so hard to go and do this simple corporal act of mercy and then we don't do it. And instead, we'd rather just end up, we try to be a part of some grand project or a fundraiser. It just seems like that takes a lot more effort and work versus going to a nursing home and visiting someone that hasn't had a visitor outside of their nurse in five years. Right. That's a great question. I have my own thoughts on this. And I think it's partly because we live in a culture where we have become somewhat self-absorbed. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Life has become very busy. We're very busy running around our children. One quick story, I was performing in, in Michigan and there was a family and, you know, they had two children. One was a football player and the other one was a cheerleader. And yet the father was telling me, yeah, we just put the grandfather, so his father, in the nursing home. And I said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you quit football and why don't you quit cheerleading? Bring the father back into the home and make it your life's work for the next year to only serve the needs of this older man. And they looked at me like I had five heads. And yet that used to be the way. We used to bring our elderly into our home. We used to be those with special needs and you know tough situations right in the home. And the family looked after them. Well, now we've to a certain degree sanitized our life from all that. There's other people in other institutions to look after them and they're cared for and I don't have to think about them. And now I can drive my children to football. And what I'm thinking is, nothing against football, 
But the problem is we're not teaching our young boys and our young girls that there are needs in the family that edify the elderly, but will even more greatly edify them. If a child comes to visit my daughter, it'll please my daughter. It will also dignify the one who did the act of the corporal work of mercy. But Leah, we've gotten away from it through, I think, a bit of sort of focusing on what my wants are right now, you know? And I think that we have to just sort of steer society back to seeing the needs of other people. And while we can see them collectively, what we have to do, and we're all aware of the special needs of people and so on, what we have to do is recognize, don't just look at it collectively, look at it individually. You can go and you can make a difference by spending 20 minutes. And all you have to do is go to an older person and say, tell me about your family. And that's it. They'll talk for the next hour and they'll teach you all about their family and it'll bring them joy to speak of it. Mm, I love that. You know, a lot of what you talk about and what has been written about you in different interviews that I've looked at in the research of everything, amazing things that you've been doing is you talk a lot about suffering and that personal experience of your own personal suffering within your family, but also the connection to the suffering you see in people not just in prisons, as you've mentioned before, but kind of in this prison that we all have sometimes within us if we choose to, if we choose to, uh, in a sense, live in the tomb and not experience that light of Christ of what he can do and the mercy that he gives. And when you're talking right now about reaching out to other people, it just seems to me, and Mother Teresa has said this in many different ways, but she says one of the best antidotes to suffering is service. And so when we suffer, one of the things that we can do to help our own suffering is to go serve, find someone to serve, find someone to love. And what it does is, as what you've been talking about, it obviously helps them. It helps us. And this beautiful cyclical process of mercy and love begins to kind of swarm around us and within our own conscience to kind of uplift us and bring us to see something greater in the world than just our suffering and wanting to focus just on us. And I think going back to that initial question I was I had just asked you, one of the things I, I was kind of th- thinking about, like, is it just the reason why we maybe choose to do something Uh, much more complicated than just reaching out and going to visit someone and to be with them and to ask them how, like, tell me about your families, maybe because we won't be able to document that and we won't be able to be able to share with the world, like, look at this great fundraiser I'm doing and take your selfies and take your videos and do your Facebook lives. And I know that's not everybody, but I, I have a feeling that there's a piece of it, though, that we can kind of add to our internal resume of look at the things that I do. And if we go and we possibly just go visit an individual person and only they know about it and they may forget about it five minutes later, who knows, depending on who you go visit in a nursing home, how are we going to share that? And I think it's kind of more in line of what you've been doing is that what we give to God, how generous God is to us and giving back to the Lord by helping others should be reward in and of itself. That's a great point. I couldn't agree more. There is a lot, and you know, I'm not going to call it grandstanding, but there is a lot of that sort of thing. And we all we are a very driven culture. People are very motivated, and they feel very edified by taking on the big task of the big fundraiser. And yet, sometimes to go and visit someone with Alzheimer's, and you're right, they forget five minutes after you've gone. It's as if you were never there, and it seems useless, you know. And I guess what I'm getting is that is I agree so much. And what you said about Mother Teresa, you're absolutely right. And I think you're very wise to quote that. 
I think very often we get so self-absorbed and we get so concerned about our own issues that we fail to see there are people right around us, right next to us, suffering. And yet in America, Leah, we, you know, we live in, in what's called the fine culture. You know, you ask anybody how they are. Well, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everybody's fine, but yet everybody's hurting so much. And there is so much, especially when I'm going into these grade schools now, there is so much discouragement. There is so much despair. And Leah, I tell you, there is a lot of children who are doing things, and just to sort of be sensitive to your audience here, that potentially have contents of self-harm, which um, and sometimes fatally. And that is so sad when an eighth grader or a seventh grader thinks that acting on that is easier than taking their next breath. And I think the perfect antidote is to what Mother Teresa says. When we go out and we reach out to others and we realize that we can affect the life of other people so profoundly just by being us, that gives a new perspective and a new dignity on who we are. And so I think the corporate works of mercy are meant for the people who are receiving the mercy. But I think even more important, they're there for the people who are giving the mercy. Mm, amen. And I mean, it's it's always the case. Love and mercy are two sides of the same coin. When you experience or give or receive one, you're going to get the other very soon afterward. It opens up your heart to be able to experience both at a deeper level because we are supposed to imitate Christ. And so he's the epitome of both. You cannot separate Christ from anything else. So, And you know, Leah, with regards to that, when I go into these prisons, one of the questions they ask all the time, every prison show is, why do you come in here and play for us? As though, you know, we're not worthy of it. Why do you come in here into the prison? This is an ugly place. You know, you're playing for people who have done horrible things. They don't forgive themselves. They don't see themselves as dignified. And, you know, what I'm trying to do now, Lee, is I'm trying to bring a bunch of people into the prison. So I take businessmen into the prison. And here's a kind of a comical story. There was one very, very successful lawyer. He makes a lot of money. And I said, you got to come in. He says, no, I'm, I'll lose too much money going in. I said, you have to come in and just help me carry my equipment. So I eventually talked him into coming. And he was so moved by the concert, by the men's reactions to the concert, that he goes now weekly into the prison and teaches them different things about business. And he mentors them so that when they come out, they have options and he makes business connections. So the key thing is that sometimes we're not comfortable with situations that we don't understand. So going to a nursing home when I've never really met an older person may be uncomfortable for people so we don't go. Going to visit people who are addicts, I've never met an addict, so I'm not going to go. Going to a prison, well, I've never seen a prisoner. That sounds too scary. I'm not going to go. And my thought is these are just people, and they're people that are hurting, and they are people with broken backgrounds, and they are people that are starving for love like everybody else. I was playing in a very heavily ganged prison. It's, it's a super maximum security prison in California. It's called Pelican Bay, and it's a super max. It's the worst of the worst. It's a tough area. And, you know, these men cry like everybody else. These men ask questions. They talk about their families. They write me letters. I write them back. They want love. They want genuine companionship like everybody else. So for me, God gave me a little bit of a gift of this music. So it's so important for me to recognize that beauty uplifts the person. My prison friends have showed me to an extreme extent to the level that beauty affects people. 
My goal is to go to every school, every public school, every inner city school, and to play for these kids that they can be moved by the beauty of a violin. One great story, I played in a youth prison, and these are kids that were all tried as adults. So these are 15-year-olds that are going away for 30-plus years, and they were filled with kids in a room. And at the end of the concert, the leader in the room, the sort of tough guy in the room, if you will, stood up. And he said, that violin is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And then he said, can you please just play the violin alone? So I had the violinist play and nobody else played so he could hear the violin without distraction. And the boy started, sort of tears were coming down his eyes. And he re- he was about seven feet tall, this young boy. And he said, can I play that? And he reached his big arm over. And the funny thing was, was when he reached his big hand over, all I thought was, boy, when that hand was five years old, 10 years ago, it was little. And if someone put a little violin in his hand and had him exposed to beauty throughout his life, then maybe he would have made other decisions that wouldn't have led to him being here. And so I look at that and it made me very sad, but it just shows beauty plays a role with our young people, what is the music that they're drinking in regularly? If Confucius is right, then they are drinking in music that is forming them to things that are maybe negative. You know, the, with respect to your work, how much music out there belittles women? How much music out there belittles family? How much music out there belittles men? Belittles relationship between men and women that almost mock these things, that really praise things that we would consider sinful and wrong and leave people hurt and leave people disappointed in themselves and leave people with regret and pain and suffering. And yet they fill their lives with this stuff. So my thought is, is that there has to be a musical and a beauty revolution. And that's what I'm doing. And yet a lot of people don't understand it. And so I know that my work is pioneer work. So if I have to just go to one school at a time, then that's what I do. But my work, I want to be entertaining, but far more than that, Leah. The purpose is to bring beauty so that we can do the corporate works of mercy so that we bring hope into people's lives. Oh, amen. I mean, it's, it's so clear that you believe and know that music as a transcendental connects us with the divine. But how do you see your music as a prayer? That's a perfect question. I believe that beauty, as they say, is the language of God. Here's why. Because I believe that beauty reaches the soul in ways words can never touch. So when I'm in concert, Leah, I talk about, like, for example, I have a piece called Mercy. And I talk about, as you mentioned, you know, my own pain and my own suffering. I'm an open book on stage. And so when I'm on stage, I talk about my own difficulty with showing mercy to others and difficulty with showing mercy to myself. And, you know, how hard it is to show mercy when people have offended us and hurt us. And so I talk about it. But then I play the piece that I composed called Mercy. And as far as a prayer, what it does is it gives people the opportunity to reflect on mercy and to maybe reflect on their own lack of demonstrating mercy and maybe their own lack of receiving mercy of themselves and divine mercy. Because God can hand us the ocean of mercy, but if we don't accept it, if we don't see ourselves as being worthy of it, then it's almost like we're rejecting the greatest gift. So what I want to do is I want my music to uplift them to edify them, to bring them inspiration, that they can look at themselves and humanity in a way that's good and positive. And that leads to God, and God willing, that leads to deeper prayer. But when we look at life through cynical eyes, Leah, it's really hard for people to identify God through the eyes of cynicism. And so God is a God of hope. 
And I don't mean just positive thinking. I mean true hope to recognize that we are created in the image of a God who's beyond words, a God who's all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, everlasting, all-merciful, all-loving, complete, total, uh, without any stain, pure love. And we're made in that image. Well, how do we experience that love but through beauty? You can't tell somebody of that love. So I look at beauty as a way of trying to communicate the deeper love of our Lord and the reality of that love to the human soul. Oh, gosh. Eric, I don't even know what to say to you right now. I'm not often out of words. I'm pretty good with words. But I feel like Christ is just, the Holy Spirit is just using you and your talents and your gifts that he's given you, that you've honed and put in all of the work into to speak. Your music is literally speaking the language of God into people's hearts, hearing your music, hearing you talk about your music. It's so powerful. And that is such a testament of what you just said to beauty, the power of beauty, of authentic, true beauty is something that you can't grasp. You receive it into the depths of your soul and it grows and it just drives you closer and closer ultimately to your creator who is beauty and who will give you that experience of and the encounter of hope and love. I don't know what I'm even saying right now. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so happy that we're able to chat about this and to kind of put this out there for us to really talk about. I mean, you have such a unique opportunity in what you're doing and how you're using your gifts and your talents for the glory of God. And obviously, in turn, helping so many people. You've been quoted by saying that you play for those who are bleeding. And another way to say is that you just, you play for all. You play for humanity. That's a great point. And thank you so much for your kind words. The reality is, we're all hurting. Pain is probably the only thing that unites every person. We don't all experience hope or peace or prosperity, Leah, but to one degree or another, like my my beautiful wife, we lost seven children. I mean, two of them died in our arms. There's a lot of pain there. And so when we go and we perform and I, and you know, and I talk about this and I talk about my own struggles with regards to this stuff so that people realize that we all are on this journey. That's why they called, you know, St. Bernard called it the Valley of Tears. And it's not that we should be seeking the pain, But that's the reality is that there is a great deal of suffering. But God gave us a lot of beautiful gifts to use to always recognize that even in the midst of suffering, that doesn't mean that there's a lack of hope or that doesn't mean that God's not there. And Mother Teresa talks about this. And so in in a life of suffering, you know, the hope and the joy of always knowing that our Lord is right with us. And so we have to use the tools he gave us to recognize his presence. And I think beauty is the most important and most misunderstood and most downplayed tool we have. And so I'll just give you an example. I was performing in this prison in Connecticut and the room was filled with guys. And this one guy stood up and it's a no-no to cry in prison. You cry and that's a weakness in front of the other guys. It's just one of those codes in prison, okay? So I'm performing and this one guy stands up, big man. And he said to me, he said, I've been in gangs and I'm a gangster my whole life. And he starts to cry and he puts down the microphone because he can't continue. At that point, I usually sort of say something silly just to lighten it up, but I didn't. I wanted him to have the dignity of collecting himself and being able to speak. And he says, I'm crying and that's a sign of weakness. He said, anybody want to call me weak? (laughs) Nobody moved. And then he said, all I've known 
is this kind of behavior, gang activity. And then he listed it, which I won't list here for the sake of the listeners. But then he said, I've only heard in my life gangster rap. He said, why have I never? And now he's raised his voice at me. And he said, why have I never heard this kind of music? Why have I never heard this music before? And to me, Leah, when he said that, all I could think about was that's a poverty in America. Why is anybody growing up in America? And why is great players and great music and people who can be moved by beauty? Why is that not accessible to our children? Yet every kind of filth that is out there that degrades all these things why is that so accessible? That's wrong. So all I did was I turned to that man and I said, sir, from the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry. I said, there is no way that anybody should grow up in this country and not have access to this kind of playing. And it should be live. Like I turned to my violinist and my cellist and I said, these two can solo on any stage in the world. And I try to bring them in places where they never go. Lee, I played in a, in a grade school not too long ago in an inner city school in Cincinnati. And it was so sad. I talked to the kids. I'm on the floor. I'm in my jeans and T-shirt and I'm sort of joking around with them. But then when we play the music, it's always very serious because so, I think that kids get it. And they do. They imitate my violinist at recess. It's beautiful. And then I thought, OK, now it's time to talk to the adults. So I said, ladies and gentlemen, I perform very often for those who are incarcerated. Five-year-old boy jumps up and says, oh, did you play for my daddy? That is their reality. So you talk about those kids who are forgotten and those kids who are suffering. There are people in our midst who we can reach out to and it doesn't take much effort and we can change their life. So I go in and I play and these kids are imitating. So I tell them, I tell the teachers, look, they're going to listen to the stuff they're going to listen to and I can't change that. But then I give every one of them a CD and I say, let them listen to one violin piece. I give them my piano violin CD. And I say, tell them every day to listen to one violin piece and they will be very moved. So although they may be listening to other things, at least they're drinking in the real violin. And so that may affect how they look at beauty and then ultimately how they look at themselves. You know, it's interesting. Plato also said music is a moral law. It gives soul to the universe, wings to the mind, flight to the imagination and a charm and a gaiety to life and to everything. Leah, we've known this for thousands of years, but yet why in our day and age have we reduced music to being meaningless? Yet never before in history have we had such access to music. Leah, I'm 52. When I was a kid and you wanted to hear music, you had to go to the record store and buy an album. It was expensive and it was inconvenient. Now, kids can just download it for nothing and they have their earphones so they can listen to any style, anytime, anywhere. So they have full access to anything. So if music is harmless, then let them listen to all that's out there. But if it's potentially good and potentially harmful, then my question is what's on their iPods? And the sad thing is I know it's on their iPods because I go play in their schools and it's not good. And so what we have to do is not complain about it. You know, people say, oh, why doesn't somebody do something? Leah, you know as well as I do, when they say, oh, why doesn't somebody do something? There is no somebody. That somebody is you and I. It's everybody out there who wants to make a change, has to do something. It's no time to stand with our hands in our pockets and say, boy, I wish someone would do something. There's nobody going to come down and save the day. It's up to us to get in the middle of the fight. 
And so, you know, I would love to play nothing but concert halls and do all that, but that's not where God wants me. He wants me exactly where I am. And I think we have to be willing to get our hands a little dirty in order to make some, some change. And that change may be just to one person, Leah, but it's so worth it. Oh, amen, Eric. Uh, yes, it is worth it. Amen. And praise be to God. Oh, I'm just praising God for your life and for the gifts that he's given you and how you have chosen to use them. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Eric, before we wrap up, I think this is a perfect time. If you could give me, give my listeners a challenge, please. Yes, that's wonderful. The first thing I would tell everybody is let's put things in order. The order is always prayer and sacraments first. Absolute first. St. Jose Maria Scriva said far before anything, prayer and sacraments. So challenge, make sure that you are receiving our Lord in the most perfect, the only perfect object on the planet. The most perfect beauty, perfect sublime is the Eucharist. Go as often as you can and receive him with humility and with attention. That's first. Our prayer life. You know, pray constantly. We can pray throughout the day while you're driving, you know, instead of listening to talk radio or the news or, you know, all, you know, you don't need to listen to every news station to know what's going on politically. Be aware that's good. But let's also be aware that we're bound by time. And if you have only a certain amount of free time during the day, use it as much as you can for prayer. And then just gently don't go out and do something big. Don't go out and promise to go to a nursing home every day. Don't do anything like that. Just gently look around your life and see if there's a family member that's hurting or away or, you know, left the church or is suffering for whatever reason. And just put it on your calendar to maybe call them once a week and see how that goes or go visit them once a week. Just something gentle, something doable. Don't do something out of your schedule too much. And then keep praying and then see where God guides you from there. And he will guide you. He'll put it on your heart to do something more or something different. But we've got to start somewhere. So sacraments and prayer and then just reach out to someone who's forgotten. And if you don't have anybody in your family life or your neighbor's life, then please go seek it out in a nursing home and just go visit someone once every two weeks for lunch. And that just something small. That's sort of what I think. I think the corporal works of mercy are forgotten, Leah, and we have to fight to get them back. Amen. We do have to fight. You're absolutely right. It is a battle and it's a fight, but it is one that we know we don't do it alone. Eric, you're just phenomenal. What a great human you are. Praise be to God for you and all that you're doing. I mean, talk about somebody who's really doing something beautiful. Geez, I think this podcast hit the jackpot here. And, and I'm so thankful that you could speak to us and inspire us with all that God is doing in your life and to let us know that the possibility for us to do something beautiful for God in our lives is just as possible as what you are doing of opening yourself up and letting God guide you through prayer and seeking people to help and look around our own life around us. So thankful for that. And I'll have it in the show notes so everybody knows. Um, you can find out more about Eric at his website, ericgenis.com. I'll put it there. You can grab his music there on the site. You can grab it on iTunes, especially considering everything we've talked about. Definitely fill your life with beauty, true beauty. That begins first and foremost with the Eucharist, with prayer. And then, of course, look all around you, the beauty of what you see and also what you take in, beautiful words that you can say to yourself and to others, and then the beautiful 
uplifting music that you can put into your heart that really can change you. So make sure you all grab uh, some music there. I'm definitely going to have all of those uh, links on the podcast notes. So if you can grab that, Eric, you've been amazing. Will you please come back and chat with us oh, again? Absolutely. Leah. It's, it's been an absolute delight. And, you know, and I just ask people, you know, pray for my work. I'm like everybody else, Leah. You know, sometimes I leave the prisons and I hear the stories and I I give the prisoners free CDs. I can't give it to them. I give it to their families. They write to me. And when they write to me, you know, they tell me their stories and sometimes it's overwhelming. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, I really have to pray and just sort of, you know, Lord, give me the strength to keep going because these stories are almost too sad. Some of these guys and women have suffered so much. You know, we have comments like, oh, throw away a key or whatever. And, you know, they, they have suffered so much in their life as children. And I mean, the abuse that some of these gentlemen and women have been in prison is beyond. And so I, I just ask people really pray for my work. One of the things that I did want to comment, though, is that I'm 52. And I know, as I mentioned earlier, that it's going to come to an end. And if my music can ever serve any of your listeners, they can go on my website and they can contact me. You know, I do a lot of fundraisers. I do a lot of concerts, but I love to play in new areas. If people are interested in having a concert in their area, I do all I can to make it work because I look at it as a great, great gift. There's many musicians who are phenomenal that can't write a note. Why can I write? Because God gave me the gift and I want to give it back to him as generously as possible. So I'm really grateful for your kind words, Leah, but I do really ask for prayer and I ask people for prayer for my work and for especially for those who are are incarcerated as they suffer. So. Absolutely. We will definitely be doing that. I know my listeners are truly amazing, Eric. I don't just say that they are so wonderful. I, they reach out to me in many different forms, different ways, and they are powerful prayer warriors. So I know that you will have a slew of people joining in on that prayer chain and just praying for you and the good work God's doing for you and in you, and especially praying for all those that you minister to through your presence and through your music. Like Eric said, you can find out more about him and all he does. You can ask him to come out. You can go to a concertsforhope.net, find out more about all he's doing there, uh, bringing concerts to people who normally wouldn't even be able to be in a concert like that. And again, it's just been amazing and awesome. And of course, my beautiful listeners, um, whatever you do today, gosh, I know that Eric has inspired me. Whatever you do today, make sure you do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And we'll talk to you later.